Let's reopen our Bibles to 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1. I read to you the next section of this chapter, and it's verses 16 through 18. For we have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of His majesty. For He received from God the Father honor and glory when there came such a voice to Him from the excellent glory, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And this voice which came from heaven we heard when we were with Him in the holy mount. Amen and amen. Amen. You had read to you the accounts of the transfiguration of our Lord by Matthew, by Mark, and by Luke. If you were paying close attention, you saw that Luke had at least five different or added facts that we didn't get from Matthew or Mark. Mark had one that Matthew did not give. Matthew has one that Mark and Luke do not give. And that is why, as Brother Jeff said, this is the perfect Word of God, three writers, different viewpoints, we put them all together and we arrive at the event. It isn't a bit different in the world when you read the reports of different reviewers or historians or editors about an event that takes place. They look at it from slightly different angles. They each decide that they will include or exclude various facts. And so they they have different stories, but we put them together to get the whole story. It's the same event. You say, but I just can't handle that it said six days in Matthew, six days in Mark, and eight days in Luke. That should be so simple for you. And there is wisdom in that difference for you to learn how to interpretate dating and periods of time in the Bible. Two of those writers were exclusive of the days of the events. One writer was inclusive of both days. Jesus was speaking on one day, and He says something in the context of all three of those transfigurations. So that's an event. Then there's the event of the transfiguration. If you are exclusive of the beginning and the end, there's six days. If you are inclusive of when the Savior was speaking and when the event took place, you end up with eight days. And if you will learn from Bible differences like that, it will save you in other passages. That sometimes the Lord is inclusive and sometimes He's exclusive. A minor point, but don't let it rattle you. I love the fact that it is there. I love the fact that men trip over that and say, I ain't going to believe the Bible. It says six in Matthew, six in Mark, and eight in Luke. Well, bye-bye. Is it the Koran or the Book of Mormon that you prefer? Do you want to see the contradictions that are in those manuscripts compared to this? So don't let those little things worry you. We put them all together and we learn truth, even Bible hermeneutics, from six, six, and eight. Four, we had a wherefore that began verse 12. It should be pretty simple to you that verses 1 through 4 are one section of this chapter. You should be able to read through it and say, yep, Peter's dealing with one 
matter of truth and matter, part of the gospel in verses 1 through 4. Then in verses 5 through 11, it's the eight things to prove our election sure. Then verses 12 through 15 is Peter stating the importance of him reminding them of these things so that they do not let them slip. Then we have a new section, Peter reviewing the transfiguration that took place on the mount. Remember when they came down, it said they did not tell anyone in those days what they had seen. But here's Peter telling what he had seen some days later, uh, 35 years later. And then when you look at verses 19 through 21, you know it's about the Scriptures. Sometimes the divisions are harder to see. In this chapter, they're pretty easy. But when we came to section 3, which is verses 12 through 15, it began with a wherefore, because it was drawing a conclusion from the great importance for your life of Christ, heaven, and holiness. Christ securing everything for us, including eternal heaven in His everlasting kingdom, and our holiness assuring our hearts of that matter. So we had a wherefore, and so wherefore, Peter said, I am going to spend the rest of my life, plus I am going to take measures that after I'm dead, you will have these things always in remembrance of Christ, heaven, and holiness. Four. Oh, four. Peter needed four verses to get it off his chest that sometimes there needs to be a lot of the same old, same old gospel preached. And I don't mean that it's a light matter. I just mean it's the same thing that you've heard before to remind us of the importance of it so that we would live a holy life. And that is 12 through 15. Wherefore, I am going to continually remind you because Christ and heaven and holiness are so important. Now he's got a whole other line of reasoning. For the absolute certainty of the event of Jesus Christ coming because I was an eyewitness and an ear witness of His majesty when He received glory and honor from God to such a degree in the Holy Mount that to tell you about the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ should is not a far stretch at all because I was an eyewitness and I was an ear witness. Jesus Christ is coming like I told you in 1 Peter chapter 1, like I told you in 1 Peter chapter 4, like I referred to in 2 Peter chapter 1, when we shall be ministered an abundant entrance into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. For there is a solid foundation for gospel truth. This pulpit reads and declares the Word of God. There are so many other pulpits today. There are Catholic pulpits with all the fables that you can possibly imagine and then some from that brothel. Then there are the charismatic and Pentecostal churches where they are getting in pulpits and saying, I had a dream. The Lord appeared to me. And, uh, you know, Jesse Duplantis will say, I died and went to heaven. And there were all these little spirits floating around with wings, flying around like little hummingbirds. And those are all your babies that died. And the Lord would just twitches, just twitch, you know, Jesse Duplantis twitches anyway, but twitches his finger and angels would be thrown up against the wall. Any of you know about it? You should know about it. I've sent you links uh, for it, just, just for you to realize the fables that are going down for the gospel today from so many pulpits. What you heard from Brother James. Thank you, Lord. 
the apostles did not go out preaching some cunningly devised fable. They went out preaching a gospel of good news and glad tidings that they had had verified to them in various ways. Remember, they saw the risen Lord Jesus Christ. There were above 500, there were more than 500 that saw Jesus Christ after He rose from the dead and the apostles ate and drank with Him. Spirits don't eat and drink. Abigail, if a spirit ate a sandwich, would you be able to see the sandwich go down? Spirits don't eat and drink. We need, a, we need a body to eat and drink. We have a solidly established religion. Amen. It is not an illiterate trader of the Arabians who had hallucinations and dictated them to someone that could write it down since he wasn't educated or smart enough to write it down himself while he was playing with his single-digit wives. That's Muhammad in the Quran of the moon-worshipping Arabians and their moon god, Allah. We worship Jehovah and His Son, Jesus, and we have a solidly established religion. There are so many historical events connected to the Bible. There is so much scientific evidence taught in the Bible. There are so many prophecies in the Bible that we have known were fulfilled in the past Do you know how many prophecies describe Jerusalem being compassed with armies, a trench being dug around it, and its walls being level, and every stone pulled apart? And it happened in 70 A.D. There's nothing like that in the Koran. There aren't any prophecies. Because he wasn't a prophet, though they claim him to be the greatest of prophets. I thought a prophet was supposed to prophesy. I thought that was what the title of the job meant. But we have a wonderful religion that we believe, and the gospel of Jesus Christ is solidly established. And so Peter is going to remind them of the second coming of Jesus Christ, and they ought to be living holy lives so that they can make their calling and election sure. So he takes four verses mentioning the importance of reminding them of Christ and what He has secured, heaven and what it means to us, and holiness and on how that assures us that we're going to heaven secured for us by Christ. Now, it's for what I'm going to be reminding you of is not something that we apostles cooked up while we were sitting around a fire on the shore cooking our fish. I'm going to share with you, and we have already shared with you, the power and coming of the Lord Jesus Christ But we got a small token of it, three of us, that were taken up onto the Mount of Transfiguration when we saw Jesus in an entirely different light. Light. Glorified. And God the Father from a cloud of glory and speaking from heaven and speaking out of the cloud because God is everywhere. Don't get confused by those little things. I love that kind of confusion. When my God speaks... It can come from heaven and it can come from a burning bush and it can come from a cloud that has enveloped them. That cloud just wasn't over them. I hope you noticed by the greater detail of Luke that that cloud enveloped them and they were sore afraid because the great God had appeared to vindicate His Son from Peter's nonsense because Peter was afraid and just had to talk. Let me just get this out of the way. For those of you that sometimes talk too much, just remember that there's an event like this in the Bible where God had to rebuke Peter 
because he just had to make some sort of noise. You know, some people just have to fill silence with noise. And sometimes when you're in a conversation with us and we don't say anything immediately, do you know what we're doing? Thinking. Is that okay? Is that okay for us to think before we speak? And off went Peter. You know, and it, it told us that, didn't it, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. When you read them all together, he didn't know what to say. They were sore afraid, and he thought something ought to be said. So, Lord, how about three tabernacles? One for you, and one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And that's when God got involved. And I, I love it. God honors our Savior by calling Him Son. We honor God's Son by calling Him Savior. Because He is our Savior. Four. This coordinating conjunction ties these sections together. The value was very great of verses 1 through 11. Thus, it needs reminding in verses 12 through 15 and then three verses of its certainty. And you know where that's going to lead in the next three verses, don't you? Peter is going to lift this event of being an eyewitness of the glory of Jesus Christ and an ear witness of God the Father giving him honor. Peter is going to lift it up as high as he can in three verses. He is going to exalt it. He's going to call that mountaintop that we were on, that was the holy mount. Well, it wasn't intrinsically holy. It was holy because God's holy presence had come down on it. But he is going to lift that event up as high as he can so that the next three verses that are next Sunday will be more meaningful to us when it says we have also a more sure word of prophecy. You want to hear God's voice from heaven? Why? Why would you want to hear that? You say you're almost blaspheming to ask me that question. Really? Why would you want to hear God's voice from heaven? Would He speak in your language? Would you be able to remember it? Would you understand the sense and intent of what He said to you? Would you be able to repeat it to us correctly? What value would it have? You would come down and be so confused that if you were to tell it to several of us, we would, we would ask you a number of questions about it. By the time we got done, you wouldn't be sure what he said to you. That's right. Do you know how we get rid of all sorts of questions about words that are said? We put them in writing. Yep. Written contracts. Verbal agreements are nice. As long as they're as simple as seeing a couple hours at lunch. You know, but when it gets detailed about the sale of a house or the encumbrances on a piece of real estate, or the different features of a contract, we want it in writing. And uh, there's just a few details in this contract, and we would like them in writing, and they are in writing because they're better than hearing God's voice from heaven. All these charismatics that want to hear God's voice from heaven, why? What's he going to tell you? Well, he told me that Jesus is coming again soon. Well, why didn't you read that and believe it? If God tells you anything that the Bible doesn't have, it's the God of this world talking to you, not the God of the Bible. These three verses are pretty simple. They're going over the transfiguration. We read all three accounts so that you would hear everything that was there. You know, we typically default to Matthew, or maybe you don't, maybe I do. I typically default to Matthew when I'm reading the transfiguration. I bang into Matthew chapter 17, the first nine verses, and I forget... That Peter went to sleep there as well as the Garden of Gethsemane. Did that bother you hearing that from Luke? 
It's comforting, isn't it? Have you ever prayed and found yourself sleeping on your knees? Or your mind wandering? Thank you, Lord. Peter was still one of the chief apostles. Peter still wrote two epistles. And Jesus loved Peter and Peter loved Jesus, though he did get heavy with sleep from time to time. Ever get heavy with sleep and you're dozing off even in a service like this? With a very eloquent and entertaining speaker? I'm glad you all laughed. That's how it was intended. It's comforting to read those. But these three verses are Peter, because it's now long past the resurrection of Jesus Christ, he is free to talk about this special event that happened to three of the apostles, and that was to see Jesus' majesty on the Mount of Transfiguration. The coming of the Lord Jesus Christ was already being questioned and confused. The coming is referred to and alluded to in verse 10 and 11 of chapter 1. Verse 11 says, For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. In general, that happens at the second coming of Christ. But verse chapter 2, the first three verses, There were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. And many shall follow their pernicious ways, by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. Then chapter 3 that was read to us by Zach. Verse 1, this second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you, in both, both epistles, which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance, that ye may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets, and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior Jesus, Lord and Savior, that Jesus was coming again. But knowing first that there were scoffers that were going to come, that were going to question the promise of His coming. The message of the prophets and the apostles of Jesus were, Jesus is coming again. Jesus rose from the dead, and Jesus is coming back, but there would be scoffers. Do you remember in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, Paul warned the Thessalonian church, Do not be moved as if the day of Christ is at hand, whether you hear about it from, from, from word or in an epistle, or in an epistle as if it were from us. A forged epistle of the apostles. Don't believe it. For there are two events that have to take place first. There has to be a great falling away, and the man of sin has to be, re- be revealed before Jesus can return. Then, over there in Second Timothy, we have Hymenaeus and Philetus, who were saying that the resurrection was past already and overthrew the faith of some people. So as early as the apostles' lifetimes, the second coming of Jesus Christ, the resurrection from the dead, remember Corinth was already denying the resurrection of the dead, there were serious heresies out there about the second coming of Jesus Christ, the resurrection from the dead, and what was going to take place. And so Peter, having preached it in his first epistle, having reminded them again in this epistle, having the third chapter about the second coming of Christ and the burning up of this world, he gives them three verses. What we have preached to you is based on certain evidence. Christianity has solid, substantial evidence. There were over 500 people that saw the Lord Jesus Christ risen from the dead, and they immediately 
declared what they had seen, and they immediately wrote it down, and it could have been refuted by people then living who were contemporaries of Pilate and Herod and Jesus and John and the apostles, but it wasn't. There were a few Jews bought off, but which message was believed? The Jews that were paid and the Roman soldiers that were paid to lie about the resurrection of Jesus or the fishermen from Galilee that said they ate and drank with the Lord Jesus of Nazareth. The latter. Thank you, Lord, for the glory of your gospel. His gospel was being corrupted and the second coming of Christ was being confused. But Peter wants to declare that these events that we have preached to you we, when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord, Paul made it known because Paul, these people were Paul's people. These churches were Paul's churches. All the apostles had a united ministry. It, just different audiences. Their gospel was one and the same. The power and coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because those angels had told them in Acts chapter 1, why are you staring up into heaven? That same Jesus which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. For we have not followed cunningly devised fables. Religion has always been full of cunningly devised fables. For these little baby bombers over in the Middle East, if you strap a bomb to your belly and wander into a restaurant and set it off, where do you get to go? To the heaven of the Muslims. What do they have there? Palm trees. What else do they have there? They've got 72 virgins waiting for you. You could only marry four in this world, but you get 72 in the next. Fables. Does it influence people? I ask you, does anybody strap a bomb to their belly and wander into a restaurant and light it off? Yes, over and over again. The pagan gods of Egypt and of Canaan and of Greece and of Rome abound with the fables of their gods and what Hercules did and what Hercules didn't do. Let Hercules meet Samson for a couple of minutes like I said last Lord's Day and we'll see who's the strongest. Samson or Hercules. But I don't know how they could meet because there's never been a Hercules unless you wanted to read an interesting revisionist approach to Hercules that it's nothing but a twisted and confused story about Samson. Go type in Hercules, Samson, Bible. Our religion is the truth. It rules the world. Is this still the year 2015? Yeah. Admitting our religion and its founder, the Lord Jesus Christ. Are weeks still seven days long? Yes, because our Bible says a week should be seven days long. Thank you, Lord. There's Jewish fables of national conversion, recovery of Palestine, Jewish superiority, the Messiah reigning in Jerusalem, and an earthly millennium. We have not followed cunningly devised fables. Jesus warned in Matthew chapter 24, many will come in my name saying, I am Christ. Cunningly devised fables. The Roman Catholics are full of this junk. It's called lying wonders in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. It's called a doctrine of devils in 1 Timothy chapter 4. In Revelation chapter 13, it's called the deception of the false prophet of the Catholic Church that will give life to the image of the beast that was and was not and yet was. She is the mother of abominations of the earth. 
And the charismatics make up more junk every year than hardly can be imagined because our minds just don't imagine that much. You haven't imagined little baby spirits flittering around heaven like hummingbirds, have you? I mean, it takes somebody really twisted to come up with that stuff. And when he looks out at his audience, that 80% of it is made up of women because then you want to talk about little babies being up there. When you watch the camera pan a crowd at one of those idiotic festivals of the charismatics and Pentecostals, you can see that the uh, the mix is female because they're the only ones gullible enough to believe such junk as a general rule. Lord, have mercy upon us. Look at Ephesians chapter 4. It's the purpose of the ministry to establish your truth and your confidence, your faith, your hope on the solid truth that's been confirmed already and put in writing to us in the Word of God. You know, we believe the Bible is the Word of God for a count, nearly countless number of different evidences that from outside the Bible prove that this Bible is by divine inspiration. You know, I wrote to you very recently, and I believe it very much. One of the great proofs that the Bible is a divine book is what's happening right now with the explosion of sodomy and transgenders and transvestites and transsexuals and all the rest of that stuff because Romans chapter 1 says when a group of people deny the Creator and worship the creature and are no longer longer thankful but become wise in their own imagination and has our nation done that over the last 50 years? Has Has it done specifically that? over the last 50 years? Has it blown creation out the window, sucked in Charles Darwin and evolution, and and are no longer thankful? They don't even want to call Thanksgiving Thanksgiving Day anymore. It's Turkey Day. It's not based on Thanksgiving. Presidential proclamations come out of Washington, D.C. and tell us to be thankful for first responders. I'm thankful for first responders, but it's not the same first responders as the president had in mind in the way of EMT firemen and policemen. They're not the first responders. The watchers of heaven and the holy angels of God are the first responders. God's the first responder. Our nation has changed so much over the last 50 years, and the Bible says those are the changes. They would start to worship the creature more than the Creator. They would look at the universe and no longer see God. They would reject that knowledge in order to get rid of God and make up a God to their own liking. Even comparing them to man. Oh yeah, humanism. Here's what will happen. God will rewire them and give them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient and to dishonor their bodies among themselves. Is that exactly what's happening? When you talk about transgender or transsexual surgery, do you understand how, how abominable, profane, disgusting, and crazy and dishonorable that is? It is a perfect fulfillment of a prophecy written 2,000 years ago that the whole world knows was written 2,000 years ago, but we are getting a graphic, vivid, present fulfillment of it. What does it tell us about the Bible? There is divine authorship behind this Bible. Now, I just threw one out there. You know, there is Alexander the Great, and there is Cyrus the Persian, and there's countless events. The, the events of the destruction of Jerusalem and fulfilled prophecy prove our religion. Prove our Bible. And we start with the Bible. We are not Bible believers because we're Christians. We're Christians because we're Bible believers. We wouldn't know about Christ without the Bible. And so we emphasize the Word of God. In Ephesians chapter 4, 
It tells us that God gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers in verse 11. And here is one of their goals. Verse 14. That we, henceforth, because men before they hear the gospel are constantly having this happen to them, that henceforth we be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. So it's the purpose of the ministry not to follow cunningly devised fables, but to make war against them. And so we make war against them. The gospel is the surest evidence and written testimony of eye and ear witnesses. Not only did Peter, James, and John see the majesty of the Lord Jesus Christ, they heard God the Father give Him honor and glory. What the apostles didn't do, and that was follow cunningly devised fables, others have done. And they did it right off the bat. As I mentioned to you about the corruption, about the coming of Jesus Christ was rampant. Paul would say in 2 Corinthians 2.17, For we are not as many which corrupt the word of God. There were many corruptors of Scripture as early as while Paul was still alive. A little note on that. When you read anyone else on what Bible version they believe, and they start talking about manuscript evidence, they would say, but we have the oldest manuscripts. Now, when you read the New Testament, you don't really want the oldest manuscripts. Because the proliferation of false manuscripts that were coming out by Bible corruptors during the days of the apostles. If a scripture was written by the apostles, do you know what happened to it? They didn't laminate in those days. Do you know what happened to it? It wore out. Why in the world would you expect it to be around? It wore out. Do you know which ones are around? Vaticanus in the Pope's library and Sinaiticus. That was in a wastebasket in a monastery on Mount Sinai because nobody used them. All the margins of them are filled with corrections, revisions to the Word of God. They're garbage. But these men base their belief on, but we have the oldest manuscripts. There's a reason why they're the oldest. No one's ever used them. The Pope's never read the Bible. What do you think he does with it? You think he reads that every night before he goes to bed? He just goes in there and corrects something else with him and his scribes. Do you know what scriptures we want? The ones that were used up and then right. used up again, then copied and used up, then copied and used up. But, but they're being copied. They're over here. They're over there. They're back here. They're up there. They're everywhere. And so when you look at the collection of manuscripts that are available today, what percentage of them backs up this book? In the high 90s. All of them. Which ones don't? The oldest ones. Who wants the oldest ones? Paul said, for we are not as many which corrupt the word of God. We want the ones that are the, the Bible of the martyrs, the Bible of changed lives, the Bible of changed nations, the Bible of fruit. We don't want a Bible that's even closely connected to the Catholic Church in any way, shape, or form. That's the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth. That was just a little rabbit trail. we got to get back to 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 16. 2 Peter chapter 1. We, our Bible is wonderful. Amen. Thank you, Lord, for it. We, we thank you and bless you and praise your holy name. 
Jude said that we ought to earnestly contend for the faith once delivered to the saints because men had come up that were corrupting it and teaching a lascivious grace, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness. Paul warned the Ephesian elders, men would arise from you to lead disciples after them. Take heed to the word of His grace, which is able to build you up and keep you safe in Acts chapter 20. When we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, for we have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. When we told you about the power and coming of Christ, we weren't following men's fables. We were giving you solid gospel truth. Paul gave it. I had some of those passages read to you. Peter gave it. I had passages read from 1 Peter to you. Peter's already alluded to it, and Peter's going to spend his third chapter on the same subject, the second coming of Jesus Christ. Was the power and coming of the Lord Jesus Christ when he was transfigured? Okay, for those of, for you technicians that want to know the difficulties that we have to face almost weekly with rightly dividing the word of truth, was the power and coming of the Lord Jesus Christ when he was transfigured? No because He did not come in any way at that time except to come down from the mountain. And I don't think that's under consideration here. No, because there was no power of His shown or exhibited in transfiguring, because the same thing happened to Moses and Elijah. No, because He had not yet been given all power at the Father's right hand. But they want to turn this into a statement that the power in coming is the transfiguration. You say, why would they want to do that? Do you want to know? We'll use Mark as our example. Mark chapter 9. I'll show you. Those that hold this position are commentators and men a whole lot closer to us than that. Mark 9. Are you afraid of the fact that if, if the coming of Jesus is described in the Bible as happening at different times, does that bother you? Can Jesus come in a certain way here, in a certain way there, in a certain way in the second coming? Here's what happens. Mark 9, verse 1. Bryant read to us the transfiguration account of verses 2 through 10. But look at verse 1. And he said unto them, Verily I say unto you, that there be some of them that stand here which shall not taste of death till they have seen the kingdom of God come with power. Do you know what they do? Go to the next verse and say, see, the kingdom of God came with power in the next nine verses. Really? How many died between verses 1 and 2? None. Are you sure, Pastor? None. No one died between verses 1 and 2. No one dies in six days. You say, one might have. Well, then would he have said that there be some of you standing here that shall not taste of death? When the Lord Jesus Christ says, there be some of you standing here that shall not taste of death, is he referring to a majority or a minority of the crowd in front of him? A minority. He's pointing out that this event of my kingdom coming with power is going to come at a time when most of you are gone, but some of you will still be alive to see it. 
Is there an event that took place at about the distance of time when it would have weeded out most of an adult crowd that heard the Lord Jesus Christ, but a few would have lived long enough? 70 A.D. is that verse. Verses 2 through 10 don't have anything to do with that first verse. How about Pentecost? Let's say Pentecost was several months later. Let's say it was a year later. It wasn't, but let's say it was. Pentecost. Did power come at Pentecost? Yeah, oh yeah. Was the kingdom of Jesus Christ revealed more plainly at Pentecost? Yeah. But how many died between verse 1 and Pentecost? None. So then they go over to 2 Peter chapter 1 and say, See, the power and coming of Jesus Christ is explained by the transfiguration. Bunk. Mark your calendars. That's ridiculous. Okay? Is this powerful coming of Jesus Christ His first coming or His second coming? I'm going to a new batch of commentators. When Jesus came the first time, did He come with power? The power of the highest shall... Oh, yeah. Power of the highest shall overshadow thee. When He rose from the dead, was He declared to be the Son of God with power by the res... Yes. But is that the coming that Peter is talking about in 1 Peter and in 2 Peter? No, it's the second coming. What is the one that scoffers are attacking? Which is the one they needed to believe in? Which is the one that they needed to make their calling and election sure for? These are already baptized believers that Jesus did come the first time. He was the Son of God and He was their Savior and was sitting in the, at the right hand of power in heaven. You know, we could creatively do some things like I just did with the power of the highest overshadowing him, but Jesus didn't come like he's going to come the next time. The great coming to which the Bible points us is the second coming of Jesus Christ to draw us up to himself. The dead shall rise first, and they which are Christ and are alive shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to be with the Lord in the air. Then everything begins to happen. That fire falls on this earth and burns it up. The wicked are raised. We all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. The devil is cast into heaven. The wicked are cast in, the, the devil is cast into hell. The wicked are cast into hell. The new heavens and the new earth are made. And we are living with Christ for eternity. A huge amount of the greatest events happen at the second coming of Jesus Christ. And we believe that uh, that's what Peter was talking about in 1 Peter chapter 1. That's what Peter was talking about in 1 Peter 4 when he said that we made known unto you. When did Peter make known to people a thousand miles away from him? When he wrote 1 Peter. And what did he write about in 1 Peter? But the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what he had just pressed those people to be thinking about. Make your calling and election sure. For what purpose? So that you can get into heaven. When do you get into heaven? at the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'll not waste more of your time on that subject. The second coming is something that should be rejoiced in, for it will involve the use of power unlike anything else that has ever happened. It will truly not be a metaphorical coming. He is coming in flaming fire with His mighty angels to resurrect the dead, destroy the world, judge the quick and the dead, create a new heaven and new earth. But we're eyewitnesses of His majesty. We, when we declared unto you and made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, meaning His second coming, we did not base it on fables. We based it on having been eyewitnesses of His majesty. 
And that's what he says in the last few words of verse 16. Those three men were given an eyewitness token of the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ in that they saw Him glorified for the first time. You know, John got to see Him glorified later in Revelation chapter 1, and John was lifted up in the Spirit, and heaven was open to him, and he saw things that Paul and Peter didn't get to see, but Peter had this event that he got to write about here, and that was Jesus giving, being given majesty when He was transfigured. Four, what is this majesty? Majesty is the character and quality of a king or a reigning prince. What, what majesty did Jesus receive? For He received from God the Father honor and glory. And how did He receive it? Did He receive it by glistening and turning white and being bright? Moses and Elijah were sort of like that. No. It tells us how He received it. For He received from the Father honor and glory when there came such a voice to Him from the excellent glory, this, not these, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Please note the grace of God that Peter did not have to write the fact that he had made the idea of three tabernacles and God had to say, hear Him. No, That's just left out. It's like Hebrews 11 says that by faith, Samson, and we leave out the stuff that we don't really want to remember, God is very gracious. And we want to remember that. For He received from God the Father honor and glory when it's in these words. I know, I know, Brother Crosby, but it says in verse 16, we were eyewitnesses of His majesty. Now you're saying that it was what they heard. That just doesn't make sense to me. If they were eyewitnesses of His majesty, how did they hear that He was majestic? Can I remind you of any other events in the Bible where this is true? When Moses said, show me your glory, what did he get to see? He got to hear words. Right. When Job said, I have heard of you with the hearing of the ear, but now mine eye seeth thee, had he seen God? Or just had a few more paragraphs given to him about the glory and greatness of God? Are you right. with me? Amen. You're going to think that this is confusing talking about being an eyewitness of His majesty, then we heard we heard these things when we were with Him in the Holy Mount. It all just works together perfectly. They saw Him white, bright, like the sun, light, glistening. But they also heard, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And it came out of this cloud and it came from heaven at the same time this cloud that enveloped them. And this cloud was the glory of the Lord. When you go back in the Old Testament and you read about the cloud of glory that would fill the tabernacle on times, Moses couldn't get in there because a cloud filled it. Now, I thought planes flew through clouds. But I don't believe a plane could have flown through this cloud. This cloud would come down and fill the tabernacle, and the glory of the Lord would be emanating out of that tabernacle, and Moses and the priests would not be able to do their job. And do you know what it's called? The cloud of the glory of the Lord filled the house. Can you think of another event when it happened? Solomon's temple. Right. The last event for Solomon's temple and its dedication, the priest took the Ark of the Covenant into the Holy of Holies 
and came out. And when they came out, the cloud, you can read it first. You're standing against a crowd. First Kings chapter 8. First Kings chapter 8. Thank you, Mark. I love First Kings 8, and you should too. And Second Chronicles 7, they're the dedication of the temple of Solomon. First Kings chapter 8, verse 10. It's, it's just described the priest taking the Ark of the Covenant into the holy place. Verse 10, and it came to pass, 1 Kings 8.10, and it came to pass when the priests were come out of the holy place that the cloud filled the house of the Lord so that the priests could not stand to minister because of the cloud for the glory of the Lord had filled the house of the Lord. Amen. And there's Peter, James, and John They're sleeping. They're sleeping. Oh, they open their eyes. Whoa! There's Jesus, Moses, and Elijah all glorified, and they don't know what to say, so Peter says, let's make three tabernacles, one for each of you, Lord. And that cloud comes down, overshadows them, then envelops them. Why didn't the priest just want to go on in there? Aren't the priests making sacrifices to God? I mean, when he gets that close, wouldn't you want to be there? Read it. Every time that it occurs like this, you did not go in. Well, that cloud came right over them and wrapped its arms around them. And the voice came out of that cloud. And Peter's going to say it came out of the excellent glory. Does that make sense with what we just read? The cloud was the glory of the Lord? I mean, this is... Could you, pre- could you preach the second coming of Christ if you had been in the Mount of Transfiguration? I think you'd hit the pulpit a few times. I think you'd punch the air a couple of times because you would have seen the Lord Jesus Christ in glory and you would have known that the God of heaven had come down to encircle you to get your mind straightened out. That you needed a little straightening. That Moses and Elijah weren't to be compared to his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. This is my beloved son. Don't you dare mention Moses and Elijah in the same sentence with him. And don't you think of three identical you know, try tabernacles for these three. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. And that voice, they hit the deck. Lord, help us to hit the deck when we read your word and there is no cloud. But when we read your word and we read about the cloud, let us glory in your power. Let us humble ourselves before you. You must increase. We must decrease. The Lord Jesus Christ needs to be lifted up. We need to be put down. Don't you sing that song from 1970 to me about put your hand in the hand of the man. Let's read 1 Kings 8 and verses like that and rejoice that there's a great God in heaven and He loves His Son. There couldn't have been a more graphic vision and experience than what Peter described. He had two earthly witnesses to confirm what he heard and what he saw, unlike every charismatic and Pentecostal since the Azusa Street Mission. Do you know that charismatic religion and Pentecostals have only existed since New Year's Day of 1901? Do you know that if you go do a Google search for the origin of Pentecostalism and the origin of charismatic religion, it is New Year's Day, 1901? Agnes Osmond spoke in tongues after doing everything in their psychological, emotional power to work up tongues. They don't have any witnesses. When Jesse Duplantis comes down and tells his stories about being in heaven, does he have any witnesses? 
Peter had two earthly witnesses. Peter had two heavenly witnesses. Moses and Elijah, the two greatest prophets of the Old Testament. He was an eyewitness of Jesus Christ's great glory as He greatly changed. He was an ear witness of Almighty God speaking from heaven and speaking out of the cloud of His excellent glory about His Son. Charismatics cannot come close to this, though they lie beyond human imagination. We have it in writing. Do you know how many times we have it in writing? Oh, you guys have learned. That's, that's, a, that's a Yankee expression. You, dear brethren, have learned not to trust my questions. Four times. Matthew, Mark, Luke, Peter. Four, Matthew, Mark, Luke, Peter. Who did Luke travel with? Paul. And we've got the apostles covered, don't we? And it's in writing. By how many? Four. In how many places? Four. So when you're in the divine library and you don't know which one to pull off, you can pull off Matthew, then you can pull off Mark, then you can pull off Luke, and you can go over here and pull off Second Peter, and they're going to take you back to this transcendent event. For we have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus, but were eyewitnesses of His majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And this voice, which came from heaven, we heard when we were with him in the holy mount. Brethren, when God enveloped Peter and James and John to calm them down and redirect their minds, let's exalt those words. This is my beloved Son. Does that mean anything to you from Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 6? That God has made us accepted in the Beloved. beloved. We are in Christ. Amen. We're accepted in the Beloved. Ephesians 1, 6. If He is Beloved, then so are you, because God chose you in Him before the foundation of the world. Can you be separated from the love of God? Not a chance. And that love of God is where? In Christ Jesus. Romans chapter 8, verses 38 and 39. If God gave His beloved Son for you, He will surely give you everything else. Romans eight thirty-two. Oh, that is precious. We want to exalt those words. But let me get to this point. We want to fear those words. This is my beloved Son. Because they were given to correct Peter's lack of decorum. Peter lacked decorum on the Mount of Transfiguration by talking about three tabernacles. Peter was foolishly impetuous, swift to speak and slow to hear, for he did not know what to say due to his fear. Have you ever done that before? I'm an ambassador of God and Jesus Christ. There's a warning in those words to us. How seriously do you take Jesus Christ in your thoughts and your words and your actions? God knows everything about you. He knows your thoughts in your bedchamber. He knows your thoughts in your heart. Therefore, He tells you don't curse the king, not even in your thoughts. Don't curse the rich, not even in your bedroom. Don't you neglect the Lord Jesus Christ. Everyone here under the sound of my voice, believe on Him today. Believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, the reigning King of Heaven, and He's coming soon to burn this place up and take us unto Himself. This is my beloved Son. Hear Him. And He's speaking to you today. And He speaks to us with constant reminders. And He affirms constantly that we should bring forth good works. 
If we have believed on Him, if you've believed on Him, and you're old enough, get baptized. If you're a believer and you've been baptized, then bring forth the good works. Give all diligence to add to your faith virtue and to your virtue knowledge and so forth. And be fruitful in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because this God took this great apostle and enveloped him in his cloud of glory and said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Those are singular nouns and pronouns. Moses and Elijah don't count. Nothing counts in this world. You know, we get family elevated too high. We get spouses elevated too high. We get jobs elevated too high. Nothing can compete with the Lord Jesus Christ. Fear these words. He knows every word that comes out of your mouth no matter where you are. Your actions of commission or omission are perfectly known to Him. Paul would write, If any man love not the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be anathema maranatha. And so we take these words and they humble us. Thank You, Lord. Thank You, Lord. This voice which came from heaven we heard when we were with Him in the Holy Mount. The lesson is the certainty of the second coming of Jesus Christ with its related events. Resurrection of the dead, burning up of this world, judging of all men, and reformation of the universe. Unbelievable. But you know what? There's no fables involved. It is pure gospel doctrine of apostles that saw Him alive and performed mighty signs and wonders that no one could match and no one could refute their doctrine. And they had a little token, the Mount of Transfiguration. And it's in your Bible four times. And Peter uses it to bolster the fact of what they taught when they made known the power and coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. They had seen a glimpse. They had got a little idea of the power of the Lord Jesus Christ and how much God had vested in Him. Now, He wasn't fully vested yet. After His resurrection, He appeared to His apostles and He said, All power is given unto Me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore. The gates of hell, jumping back to Matthew 16, the gates of hell shall not prevail against you. This event of the second coming is infinitely beyond anything that has happened in world history. This event or meeting Him beforehand is your most crucial appointment. Some of you get so worked up about doctor's appointments, it shocks me. I haven't met anybody yet, hardly, that they've done much for. You get worked up about school appointments, school tests, dates, employment interviews, promotions, annual reviews, There is an appointment that's been made for us, and it's the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it should excite, control, motivate, direct, and please us more than any other appointment we could ever have. Are you giving all diligence to make your calling and election sure for it? Because Peter wants you to know that this entrance into the everlasting kingdom of Jesus Christ is not a fable. He saw a token of the Christ that is coming. And the Christ that is coming and the glory surrounding Him will put us on the deck like it did John in Revelation chapter 1. Thus, thus, because of this great second coming, there needs to be lots of reminders of Christ, heaven, and holiness. Because there is no uncertainty, for it is based on apostolic witnesses, not fables. May the Lord bless 
the preaching of absolute certain truth to you and the knowledge that there is an event coming that has no peer and it should change our lives. As Zach read to us, those last five verses, 2 Peter 3, 10 through 14, tell us what manner of persons we ought to be because everything of this world is going to be burned up and we shall stand before Him suspended in the space of His divine will for blessing or cursing. And we can make it sure through Jesus Christ our Lord. May the Lord bless the preaching of His word.